Can I say the words? Welcome to Sunday. I want you to let that sink in. Today is Sunday, Easter. It's the day we realize and reflect that we don't live our lives merely on Friday any longer. We don't have to live our lives on a Saturday of bleakness. But there's something about today that makes us realize that there's something to get a little excited for. You see, I look at the world, and one thing that I keep noticing is they keep looking forward to Easter. They keep looking forward to the holiday where they get to have their feast of ham and ham and deviled eggs and, and, and all these other things. And then they start looking to their hope of an Easter rabbit. And I kept looking at my wife this last week, and I kept saying, the Lord just keeps stirring these questions in my mind as I was preparing. And as I asked the questions, I look, as somebody that's an introvert naturally, I sit back and I like to observe people. Sister Mitchell likes to laugh at me sometimes because I tell her what I observe and so when I'm in the office. And... Uh, well, I, I observe people, and I watch them, and I watch them get so excited over plastic eggs. And I watch how kids get so eager for plastic eggs that when they put them out and they hear the words, go, they do something that we don't think is possible in our homes. Can I say that? They go and pick up like a thousand eggs in like 30 seconds, but it takes them how long to pick up their toys when you ask them to do it? I'm still waiting for my kids to pick up their bedroom, and it's been a week. So, yeah, there's an excitement about the Easter Bunny, and there's an excitement about all the things that we, we encapsulated Easter into. But today we're here to realize that there is a truth that needs to be reprised yet again in our hearts and our minds. A truth that Sunday means something. That today is, is such an important epiphany in our hearts that needs to be encapsulated in joy. Unspeakable joy. But many of us, we don't fully grasp Sunday. Can I say one more time with a little bit, and I want to hear a little joy out of you, though say, welcome to Sunday. That preacher that preached that message, Sunday's Coming, he has a powerful way of expressing the truth that we really need to hold on to. The cross, it represents our, our, our salvation. The cross, where, where, where Jesus was utterly mocked and scorned and beaten and had to put on all of it for each and every one of you, as you have heard repetitively by other ministers that have been part of this church. The cross is the epiphany of God's salvation story. But God asked me one question this week that's been messing with my mind. And he says, what's next? What's next? Let me tell you, when that question came in my mind, I was wrecked. 
because I didn't have an answer. Have you ever had those moments where you get a question and you're like, I don't know what to say. Like, in my household, an example of this would be, honey, what do you want for dinner? I don't know. Well, I need you to decide what you want for dinner. Or sometimes I ask my kids, hey, where did you put the remote for the TV? I don't know. And they look at me with those dog eyes of, I, I, I don't want to say if I know where it's at or don't because it could be missing batteries in it, and you might get mad. But when God asks questions in our spirit, and we, we connect with it, there are some times that he does it with the intention of not to get an answer right back, but to make you really think about the implications of the question and where he wants you to go next. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, we're going to read through a, a, a several sections of John. If you have your bulletin, I'm going to spoil it for you. It's in your bulletin as well. See, I'm, I'm spoiling you guys, so you don't have to really go deep into it. And if you don't have a bulletin, we're going to put it up on the screen. And if you don't have it and you're not in the house, we're going to put it up on your screen, hopefully online as well. But if you have it, go ahead and just... Read it with me here real quick. And it says in John chapter 19, verses 17 through 18, And he went out, bearing his own cross, to be placed, or to a place called the skull, in which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And then let's fast forward to verse 28. And it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that it was all finished, so, as to be fulfilled by the scriptures, I thirst, is what he spoke. And a jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put it on a sponge, and they put, the, uh, 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 they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hip branch, and they held it up to his mouth. And Jesus, when he received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. And in verse 40 to 42, it, the word reminds us, So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in clothes and, uh, with spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was, in the, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb that no one had been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid him there. Father, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you've allowed those to be here today, Lord. You've appointed them to be in this house for this particular time, to hear this word that you are having me give. Lord, use my lips and let them not stammer. Use my mind and keep it clear. And Lord, let this word be one that needs to be heard, Lord, as you open up the ears to hear and open up the hearts to be less hardened to receive. Because, God, I know that your word is the word that we need to give us a little bit more hope today. So, Lord, touch us, Lord, in this place, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Now, I want to put some truths out here for you guys before I really get digging into my message. I want you guys to understand these truths are historical, and they have an implication for historical sense and for the reality that we're in today. 
One, Jesus is historically proven to have lived around the year 4 AD when he was born, and he lived for 33 years. This is in correlation with historical documents that prove that King Herod the Great, when he died, and how he uh, was present according to scripture when he was born because he sent many people to get killed in the city of Bethlehem as a slaughter to try to prevent the Messiah from coming forth. I want you to know that's a historical fact. Also, there's a historical fact that Jesus didn't just come down as a giant man, but that he was a child. Then he grew into the adulthood, going through the awkward and young adult phases that we all have gone through, and we all are so thankful we're through already, if I can get an agreement with the adults. And he also grew up in a home of a Hebrew carpenter. Another truth, Jesus in his adult years started his preaching ministry, where in the process he called 12 disciples. And these 12 disciples are written in history to be ones that would not shut up in the face of persecution that they were all tortured and either killed, except for one who died an old age after being boiled in poison. But in that, he also grew many followers. The other part is, at 33 years of age, Jesus was falsely accused and sent to the Romans to die a horrendous death on the cross of, of basic suffocation. Because as you lay on the cross, you cannot contort your chest to actually breathe. Another true fact is that Pilate did put a sign on his cross that said, King of the Jews. And the last truth that I want you guys to understand is that his death really did happen. Historically, doctors will tell you that nobody can survive a, a crucifixion as some religions would want to attest. That they put somebody else up there. And it wasn't really Jesus. Let me tell you, no, that's not at all how it would happen. Jesus really died on the cross. And he was put in the borrowed tomb. And then there are, there's other written accounts that are not written in here of people talking about after the third day how they witnessed Jesus walking and they could not understand it. So the last truth that I want you to really hold on to is that he did rise again. I say those truths because we live in a world that doesn't want to acknowledge these truths. They want us to have Easter service and shut down the churches and never open up again. They want us to welcome people in here only to make them feel good. Offer Easter egg hunts for the community. Say, here you go. We'll give you whatever you need to. But there's something more to it than that. You see, the church has got to get so hungry for something deeper. And I say it week after week, but it's true. What is the point of coming here if we don't hold on to truths? What is the point of even coming through these doors without understanding truths? But like I told you, God told me what's next. It's good to know truths. 
I know all kinds of truths. I know my wife is married to me, and she says she loves me. That's a truth. I have five daughters. That's a truth. But is it enough to just say I have those things, or is it enough to walk out a journey? Is it enough to walk out this life with the intention of going further? And I bring this back because something that the Lord brought to my remembrance was from my third grade class with Miss Myers. No, you've never met Miss Myers. Miss Myers was a great woman. She taught me math. She taught me arithmetic. And somehow she's taught me how to spell. Praise God for that. But she also had me have this hunger inside of me. And this great hunger is something that transformed my life. Can I tell you what it is? Are you ready? I don't hear a lot of participation. You guys have to understand, if you're new here, I like speaking back. I like to hear your guys' interactions. So are you ready? See, Miss Myers had a rule in her class. Whoever got done with their math homework first got to go to this cool little corner in the classroom with this white box and a, gray, a black and green screen. And on it, we got to put this nice five-and-a-half-inch floppy disk into the little cartridge. We flipped it on. We turned on the game, and guess what popped up? The Oregon Trail. You don't realize, the Oregon Trail transformed my life. Can I really just say it real quick on this side? It transformed my life. Because it made me think beyond where I was at that moment. It made me connect with the historical sense of somebody's journey through life. You see, what I loved about the game is I got to pick out names and all this stuff, but I didn't get to pick out the circumstances. So in the game, I can remember going through going, okay, we got to go from here to point A, and then we got to go forward across the river, and then I got told, hey, Susie's got uh, tuberculosis. you got to stop and rest. Or, or better yet, then I got told that, 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 uh, that Melissa got uh, dysteria. And I'm like, what is this stuff? All I know is it tells me i got to stay here and rest and really hope that I don't get the dum-dum-dum-dum, where it's like, uh-oh, they died. Oh, no, I'm a widow. Oh, i got to take these kids over here to the Oregon Trail. Man, my life is ruined. Or better yet, the wagon wheel breaks, and then you got to go and cash out and get the parts. You, you get where I'm going. It's about the journey. See, the Oregon Trail starts off with the intention of starting at a point with looking at the final destination, which was Oregon, or uh, somewhere out west, where you would get land, and you would start a new life, and you would start developing things. You'd have cattle. You'd have all these different dreams and these intentions. How about your life today? Is that the same for you today? I can tell you my kids already are writing down, oh, I want to get married to this. I want to have this wedding dress. I want to have this many kids. Lord knows I'm going to have a ton of grandkids because Rebecca says I want to have 13 grandkids. I said, bless her husband. He's going to have to have some peace in his household and in his mind. Bethany she says, I want to have 100 cats. And I said, oh, Lord, I'm not going to her house. I'll have to have five lint rollers just to get out of the house. Can I get an amen? But we all have these plans and these intentions. And the, and the truth is, the same was for the people like the disciples. 
and all of those in the Roman time around that early A.D. mark when Jesus was born. They had been crying out, Lord, we want to get rid of these Romans. They're wicked, they're evil, they're horrible. We want to get rid of them. God, we keep looking at your scripture and we keep seeing something. And we says that they're supposed to be a Messiah. And he's going to reject the government and he's going to give us a new government. So he's going to cast out Rome. Yes! But no! You see... The thing that the Oregon Trail really connected with me about with this message and where we're going to is that we all have a plan of intention to get somewhere. They, but the problem is, is the journey's full of all these ups and the downs and the hiccups and the issues that we deal with every single day. You see, I didn't expect for Melissa to die on the Oregon Trail. But I had to adjust. The same is true for the disciples and for all those in Rome. Last week was Palm Sunday. We talked about we need to have a king of our heart. Today is Resurrection Sunday where we have to realize that, it, that he died. That our plan of attention was not exactly God's plan in the journey. See, we all know that we want to get to heaven. And we could all sing the song, when I get to heaven, what a great rejoicing that will be. When I all see, we all see King. Come on, you guys know the song. We, we all sing King Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. For those that are new, I don't like to sing in the pulpit because I don't want you not to come back. But we all have the intention that we know that when we start this life, we're going to get going. And when we're done with it, we really pray and hope that we, we get into heaven. But it's the ups and downs in the journey that we have to try to maneuver ourselves through. Because guess what? The plans don't always go as intended. The disciples, when they loaded up with Jesus for three years of their ministry, they were like, yes, we're going to be part of the great army that's going to kick Rome out. And then when Jesus sat him up in the upper room and he says, you don't realize this. I'm going to set this new covenant within you. This is my body that will be broken for you. This is my blood that's going to pay for your salvation. They're like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? I got to eat your body and I got to drink your blood? What? No, that's not according to the Torah. I can't do that. But he says, you don't understand the what, I, what I really came here to do. And when we look at John 3, 16, we already know if we read it ourselves, where John wrote down the account of what he was going on in his heart after the effects. And he says, for for, for God so loved the world. Come on, can, who can quote it? Yeah. But what's the 14th say? Can you guys remember what John 14 says? I think Chip's already got it going here. I'm not butchering it up. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. As somebody already alluded to this morning, God didn't come into the world to condemn you but in order that the world might be saved through Jesus. You see, what we celebrate today is the cross. The cross is awesome. The cross is the representation of Jesus dying for every single mess up, every single sin, every single issue you got. And if that was all that Jesus came to do, that would have been enough. The disciples looked at the cross, they watched him die, and they're like, 
Our lives are all over. We, we're lost. But, but we know what he said. He said he was going to die for our sins. That's enough. How many of you have to realize that the church today loves to wear the cross around their neck? We love the representation of the cross. But the problem that the church keeps walking into is we stop. I'm getting a little hot. Hold on. What we have to realize is the cross is a great marker for where our salvation starts. But it starts there. I don't know who needs to hear this real quick. I need to say this a little bit louder. The cross is where your salvation mark is just getting your feet planted. It's just where Christ says, I'm going to set something new in your life, but you have to get ready. But so many Christians are like, okay, I'm good. I don't know what else I'm going to do. I'm just going to go and say, oh, Jesus, thank you for everything. I thank you for the cross. But they forget what Easter's all about. Because if you remember the video, if you've read anything, if you've heard anything about what Jesus did, it says that he was laid in a borrowed tomb. Something that's never been used. He was put to death. It means he was done. He was finished. The devil was laughing. He was thinking, ha ha, I won this race. Jesus, I told you I would get you ha. And he had him locked up in hell and he thought he was winning. But Jesus said, I didn't come down here to lose. He started looking at the devil saying, it's time to give me what you already stole from the heavenly God. And I'm going to take it back. We know that it says that he took back hell, death, and the grave by stealing the keys of death so that you would not be tied to it any longer. It was the starting point. But what's next? I don't think you're getting it here. This side over here, you guys got to get a little bit more excited. It's got to be some calisthenics. Come on. I can't do the chicken dance only over on this side. But what I'm trying to get at is it's only just the starting point. So many Christians think, okay, he rose from the dead. He was in the grave, now he's alive. That's great. I'm good. I'm wonderful. But you were never meant to be wonderful. You were meant to be more. You were meant to have hunger and thirst for something even greater. That's the next that you have to really start pursuing after. You see, church, I get a little excited when this comes in here because when God starts wrecking my life and starts asking me what next, I get a little thirsty for something greater because I start digging through the Word. I'm like, God, what next? What next? The church keeps looking at the cross thinking it's done. The, the other church down the road keeps thinking that at the tomb, he's done. The other church down there says he's risen, that's done. But then I find purpose every single day that I open this up. And I start reading through it, and I start getting into it, and I start meditating on it, and I see what Jesus really was saying. He says, I didn't go to the cross so you could be comfortable. I didn't just go to the cross to let you just sit there and think that you were all that in a bag of chips. If you're a little younger, thinking that you were Gucci. I was a youth pastor once. I started picking up some weird lingo here. Gosh, I miss that day sometimes. They were a little bit more lively. 
But the problem we keep running into is that we lose heart of what God is saying. See, Jesus, before he was even crucified, looked at his disciples and he says, I want to tell you one thing, and I want you to hold on to this word. I didn't come for you just to have life. Can I say that again? Jesus didn't come to just give you this life. He didn't just come to give you a comfortable life where you could go and have your house full of, I don't know, who, who collects porcelain dolls around here? I got one hand, okay. You collect porcelain dolls. He didn't come just to let you fill up your house full of porcelain dolls. He didn't come just to let you fill up your house full of commemorative cups. Lord knows back in the 90s, he didn't let you come just to fill your house up with beanie babies and think you had it all together. Don't act like you didn't collect beanie babies. No, he said, I came to give you a life that's even greater than you'd ever fathom or understand. But you have to hold on to me. Because I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. But what does that abundance mean? If you think about the word abundant, you're thinking more. Right? Abundant means more, yeah. But if you really get down into it, Jesus isn't saying, I'm giving it just for you to have a little bit more life. I'm not giving it just so you can live 120 years. I came to give you more depth and more width and more everything in the dimensions of what your life is supposed to look like. You see, we got a lot of Christians in the world today. I don't mean to bash Christians. We got a lot of people in the world today that want us to just live this life where it's just flat. Where there's nothing more to it. It's like this piece of paper. Oh, you could go like this. And that's all your life will ever be. It's going to be from point A to point B. It's going to be so flat and so one-dimensional. But what God is saying is, I don't want you to have a one-dimensional life. I want you to have greater depth and greater width in it. I want you to have a life that's like this Bible. It's full of different stories and accounts of the goodness and the mercies that I've given you. I want to show you my hand as it's leading you through your wilderness valleys. I want to show you that even though you'll get persecuted for your faith, even though people will call you funky names, even though that you might get rejected by family members, I loved you enough and I'm writing the story that says that I love you and it's greater than you'd ever understand. And the time frame, guess what? It doesn't end. See, what Jesus was saying is, I want to give you life that's got more stories and more depth to it, more meaning. You see, we live in a world today where everybody wants to have their, 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 their aha moments, where everybody looks at them. I'd rather have a life full of meaning of what God wants to do if we could just really be sold out to him. And what that really means is where we finally make a decision today. What do I want? What is next in my life? You see, we live our lives really, really focused on the, the words, it is finished. The words, it is finished. The words that Jesus spoke on the cross when he was just doing it in and I just want to encourage somebody today. 
Jesus spoke the words on the cross that it was finished, that you're paid, you're paid in full. Jesus said the words, it is finished because I've died on the cross to give you the ability to have something new. But it wasn't done at the cross. It's just the continuation of the story of God's writing. You see, this Easter Sunday, I want somebody to understand that you can have hope that goes beyond all understanding. Hope in the dark moments during a divorce. Hope in the dark moments of depression. Hope in the dark moments of doubt. Hope in the dark moments of rejection. Hope in the dark moments of less. Hope in the dark moments when you don't even know where the bills are going to get paid from. Hope in the dark moments when you don't even know where the next meal's coming from. Hope in the dark moments where you don't even feel loved. You see, that's why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Because on the day that they went to the tomb and what they encountered at the tomb was that their life wasn't dead with Christ. But it was alive. But we got to get to the point where we're done weeping. You see, this is the secret the world doesn't want you to know. They want you to come in here, basic. Get your moral code, get your whatever. Trust me, I've had people say, I'd like my kids to go to church just so they could get good morals. Or I want my kids to go to church just so they could feel convicted for this or that. Because I want them to act right. But here's the secret. At the tomb, Scripture says that the woman got to the tomb first. The different accounts all talked about, Matthew talked about how the angel rolled the stone away. Mark and, and Luke talked about how the stone was rolled away, but it was empty. But in John's account, it talks about how Mary is sitting at the tomb, and she's weeping. I don't know where my Jesus went. I don't know what they did with him. I don't know what to do any longer. I don't know about you, but there are days in my life when I'm at my weakest and it seems like I have nothing left, that everything was stolen from me, and all I can do is weep. But that's where Jesus shows up. That's where Jesus shows up and he says, I don't want to turn your song and sorrow any longer, but I want to change them into dancing and joyfulness. You see, right at that encounter while she's weeping, Scripture says that a, a man showed up to her and says, why are you here? But she says, but my, they took my Jesus. And he says, he's no longer here. And she says, I don't know what to do. Do you know where, to teach, where they took him? And he finally said the words, Mary. And then instantly she recognized him. You see, I've come to tell somebody what's next is the fact that you need to really see who Jesus is. You think that you've lost your joy? You think that you've lost it all? 
You think that there's nothing else for tomorrow? I'm sorry. It's time to look up and hear the name of your words being said. And you see over your shoulder that Jesus is saying, I love you. I'm right here with you. What's next is this journey. It's ups and downs. It's highs and lows. But he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I didn't die on the cross just to leave you. But I was rose so I would not be letting you be forsaken because I'll go with you. You see, church, what we need to hold on to is a little longer, a little bit more strength, a little bit more depth, a little bit more width, a little bit more boldness in this life as we start seeing that Jesus is trying to say that the journey might not seem so long. But he's with you always. The Oregon Trail might have a lot of ups and downs in your life, but he's walking alongside of you. You might lose some things along the journey, but he's with you, leading you, and giving you the new stuff that you need through it all. Most of you don't realize it. You think that the pastor has it all together. Let me tell you, the pastor has not all of it together. I'm constantly dealing with issues constantly. Asking God, God, show me who you are. God, show me your wisdom. God, give me the, the provisions I need for this or for that. God, show me your strength. And every step of the way I want to testify right now, he was there. He's there for you the same way. He's saying, I'm going to keep you close, and I'm going to show you, and I'm going to empower you. But I want you to know that I'm going to have to send you out a little bit more. That's why the final command that Jesus said of what's next is coming out of Matthew 28 and 18. And it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will always be with you to the end of the age. Church, this isn't a sermon I normally would want to give on an Easter Sunday. I would love to give you the easy sermon. Say he's risen and we clap and we get out of here. But I have to encourage you that there's more to this journey and that's what's next. We can't just stop on Sunday and think that everything's good. Let me tell you, it's a process. We're not to the promised land yet. We're waiting to get to heaven. But it's all about the valleys that we have to cross, the streams that we have to go over, the encounters we have to go through. But guess what? All along the way, Jesus says, I'll show you how to get through it. I'll remind you of what I've commanded you to do, how to be good and faithful servants of the Most High God. And through it all, I want you to do one thing and one thing only. Share it. Share it. Sounds so simple, but yet it's so complicated. And that's because the enemy always wants to whisper to you. But I want to pray a prayer this morning with each and every one of you before we leave that he'll empower you. So if you'll stand with me this morning, we'll go ahead and close. Before we can close, though, before I can say that prayer of empowerment over you, I have to ask, every head bowed and every eye closed, 
Is there anybody in this house of the Lord this morning that has heard the story of Jesus and has never accepted him as the Lord and Savior of your life, and you want to make that decision today? Just shoot your hand up this morning. Is there anybody in the house of the Lord this morning? Okay, I see you. If that's you online this morning, just let us know through the, t the chat uh, box thing, and that we'll, we'll say a prayer with you in a minute. And church, we're going to say this prayer with this person just so that they don't feel uncomfortable, but it, they have to realize that these words mean absolutely nothing if it's not from our heart. So if you'll repeat with me, Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and were raised from the dead to purchase my salvation and to give me new life. So today, Lord, I'm admitting that I'm a sinner needing that salvation. And I declare you Lord of my life. Lord, I give it all to you, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to say a prayer real quick for every one of you this morning. That God would empower you before we leave. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the day. Lord, I thank you that you've allowed every single person to be in this place. Lord, I ask that this message go out and be what you need it to be. Be the attention, Lord, to let us understand that this journey is just now starting. Lord, that, that, that we might not always understand the ups and the downs, Lord, but God, that you're in the middle of the story, writing it with us, Lord, making it to where we have a full understanding of what you want us to do. Lord, we don't choose always the path that we walk on, but Lord, we trust that your righteous right hand will be the one that leads us through this all. God, I ask you to touch our hearts, Lord. I ask you to just move in every single one of us and empower us, Lord, to be the vessels that you've called us to be, to be the beacons that you've called us to be, that of light and truth and knowledge, Lord. That, Lord, we will be bold and courageous, Lord, from this moment on, not looking to the cross merely any longer, not looking to a tomb, Lord, thinking that we've been defeated, but waking up every single morning, being reminded that our life has started when you were raised from the dead. And that we get to walk this life with the reassurance, Lord, that eternity is longer than we'd ever expect it to be. But God, I ask that you just empower us and remind us those words. Remind us every single day as we wake up, Lord, that we're called to be sons and daughters of the Most High. That we're called to walk according to Jesus' command. And that we're, we're called to walk with the reassurance that we're supposed to share it out. God, I praise you for what you're doing. I thank you for every single person in this building. And we give it all to you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this place. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Church, you look good this morning. And I look forward to introducing and talking to every single one of you on the way out. But if not, and you get out of here before me, know that we love you and that we want to know who you are. I was told we have new connection cards. If you're new, make sure you get one of those. It's got an ability to scan and fill out an online form. If you don't want to leave the card with us, just take it with you. We love you all. Go and love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and go love your neighbor as yourself. Until we see you again, if the Lord tarries. <laughs>